to love Jesus and to win people with Jesus and to bring people into the church. And Paul wasn't, um, he wasn't necessarily trying hard to do this. It was his joy, it was his passion. He'd been supernaturally trans transformed. And then he, at one point in time, he comes over to the city of Philippi and he enters the city of Philippi because he begins to learn the city of the gospel and there are three very, very different people's lives are powerfully transformed by the message of Jesus. Those three diverse people form the foundation of this new church in Philippi and that church begins to, to grow. Disciples get made the mission of the church here. Disciples make disciples. They start making disciples. The church grows and flourishes. And now it's been several years since Paul was there in Philippi and Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi from his, from his prison cell. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at this, um, we looked at this verse. It's, it's this verse is really taken out of context, context all the time. Um, it's often find it on, on, on coffee mugs, uh, you find it in different places. It's Philippians 1.27, which says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's, let's repeat that together. Uh, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Die is gain. Okay, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, sometimes you'll hear people kind of say that or quote that right before they head into some difficulty, or I've heard, I've heard um, high schoolers say it right before they head out onto the football field or you know something like that. But let's remember the context in which Paul is writing this. Paul is writing this from a prison cell where he's potentially facing uh, execution from the Roman uh, Empire and from the Roman Emperor, from, from, from Caesar. Um, I want to read a quote to you from a um, Roman historian, Tacitus, and he's describing in the first century the persecution that Christians were experiencing. Uh, he, he says this, and then listen to this, and think about how different this is in your pretty comfortable life here. It's a little Besides being put to death, the Christians were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Others were set on fire to serve to illuminate, illuminate the night when daylight failed. Nero, uh, Caesar at the time, had thrown open his grounds for the display and was putting on a show in the circus where he mingled with the people in the dress of the charioteer and drove about his chariot. All this gave rise to a feeling of pity for it was felt that they, the Christians, were being destroyed not for the public good but to gratify the cruelty of an individual. This, this is the context under which Paul is writing words. He's um, really under the power of Nero and might have executed. Could, could, you know, Nero was lighting up Christians on fire while they're still alive and starting something. It was a really difficult place in which to be a Christian. And so it can only explain uh, Paul's life and life of the church is the supernatural power and love and beauty of God that empowered them to face such incredible persecution. So we saw that verse, um, lose Christ and die pain, and that's because every religion must answer the two questions that are answered in that short sentence, in that short verse. What, what is life all about? And, 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 and what is death? I mean, in different worldviews have answered that differently. You can say that Buddhism essentially says to live is to achieve good karma and to die is to hope for a better reincarnation. Uh, Islam says that to live is to obey Allah and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, to die is to enter into a personal paradise. You can say that the unspoken way in which Silicon Valley answers this question is that it says to live is self and to die is loss. The way people live in this valley, to live is self, where everything is focused on self, 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 me, 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 and to die is loss. Oh my gosh, I'm so afraid to die. I don't want to die. Die would be, would be lost. I'd, I'd lose my 
great house I have in Saratoga, I lose my money, I lose my comfort, I lose these things, die at loss. Paul has a very different perspective on life and death. He says to lose Christ, the die is gain. And it's coming off of that, off of that context uh, of what he said in, in chapter 1, verse 21, that we get to today's text. So we turn to the book of Philippians, to chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bible, don't worry about that. Chapter 1, verse 27 through verse 30. So we'll take us to the end of chapter 1 Philippians. So we'll, we'll finally finish Philippians chapter 1 today. Okay. Let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Um, this is a pre- pretty interesting line right there. Uh, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, what, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. The word gospel means good news. So Christianity, let's just review this. Christianity is good news. It's not good advice. Okay, Advice is helpful. Um, but, but, but news is different. So imagine, uh, imagine two different reactions. If, um, okay, let's say we've got a lot of women in the congregation today. So let, let's say it's wartime and your husband is off of war. He's been off of war for, for three or four years and it's really hard. Let's say I'm your friend and I come to you and I give you good advice. And I say, stay strong, you know, keep hoping, keep praying, just you know, make sure make sure you like get good, good sleep and make sure you keep writing the letters and you too? Good advice and interaction. But instead, if I come back and say, Did you hear the news? The war is over. Like your husband's going to be coming home. We're going to see you in a few weeks. He's coming home. That's good news. Your reaction to that is totally different. Oh, that's good news. Many people mistakenly think that Christianity is good advice. And there's good rules about how to try harder, how to do better, all that. Not that we great morality in Scripture. Christianity is fundamentally good news. It's this message of good news that transforms everything. That's what the gospel is. And the, and the core of the gospel is the good news that Jesus came and lived a perfect life. You and I can't live. Died a perfect death in our place. Rose again from the dead. Conquered death. And Jesus changes everything. He's bringing about the kingdom of God. And we're saved by grace, not by our works. Right? So it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. Yet, Paul says here in verse 27 to the Philippian church, you're, you're now called to a life worthy of the gospel. So if you see, if you see the logic of his argument there, what he's saying is, you're saved by grace, and he's thinking about these Philippians that he loves, transformed by grace, it's grace alone, but now that you've been saved by grace, we're called to live a life that is worthy of this incredible message, of this incredible news. And, and really the argument he's making is if grace is really made its way into your heart, it is going to, to transform you. And you're going to begin to live a different kind of life. And if you want to live worthy 
of this gospel. Um, Paul makes the same argument in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, we're dead in our sin, we made it made alive by Christ, all Christ has done. But now he says, um, now we live out the good works of this grace calls you, calls you into. So we're, we're saved by faith, not works. But we're saved by a faith that works. And you understand the difference? We're saved by faith, not works. But we're saved by a faith that works. True faith will translate into a new kind of lifestyle and new works that glorify our God. So, so as we come to this verse, we have to say, okay, what does it look like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel? Um, okay, so verse, so verse 27 says, um, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Now, what, what translation do you, do you have right here today, Buster? What, what, how does it say it in the NIV? Does it say a little life worthy of the gospel, manner of life worthy of the gospel? What does it say? Conduct yourself in a way worthy of the gospel. In a manner worthy of the gospel. So you might see a footnote there on the word worthy. Um, and what it talks about there in that footnote is behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. Um, it's interesting, Paul's playing upon the citizenship of the Philippian city. These people in Philippi were the citizens of the city of Philippi. And Paul's kind of talking about a dual citizenship that is going on in them. And, and, and he's saying, okay, you're citizens of the city of Philippi, but also remember you're citizens of, the, of heaven. You've got this dual citizenship. You're heavenly citizens, you've been alive and you Christ. You're also citizens of the city of Philippi. When, would you live in the city of Philippi worthy of this gospel, knowing your truest identity is a citizen? sons and daughters of God. And then he's going to tell them a little bit in this passage what does it look like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel? Notice this language. He kind of uses this language of um, striving and fighting. He says that whether I come and see you, so he's saying if I get free from prison, I want to come and visit you again and see you. So whether I come and see you um, or, or whether I still stay here in the prison cell, what I want to hear about you, this is how he knows they're living a life worthy of the gospel. I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So there's two things to point out there. He wants to hear their unity. He, he wants to hear that you notice that word one is showing up all times. I want to know about your unity. I want to know that you're a church, and they're a church of really different people. I want to know that you're, you're one, you're united, you're a you're family. I need to hear about that. So the little life for the gospel. To be a church, home of Christ, church, including life, ready the gospel, is unity. And you know that Satan likes to break up unity in churches all the time. He likes to kind of show up and um, cause people to start arguing with one another and have fights and friction and get people divided. And, and, and Paul is saying, no, 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 Jesus wants unity in the church. And in the church, you have to work for conflict, you have to work for Christian, but on the other side of it, hopefully it brings, it brings unity. So that's, that's one of our first things to see today, that we can have unity. The second thing to see here is that to live worthy of the gospel is that you stand firm and you strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. I mean, this language here is fighting language. It's, um, it's kind of army language that Roman soldiers would be familiar with. So we've got to remember this about the church. If you think about the church, have maybe these three lenses for thinking about the church. The church is family. And that's a true metaphor for what the church is. The church is family. This is a place where no matter your blood family, you come into the church, you have family. Real brothers, real sisters. Like Paul really means that language 
think about the church as, as um, hospital. The church is the place where the hurting comes to heal, to, to, to be cared for, to be nurtured. If you're hurting, if you're wounded, if you're broken, the church is a hospital. Uh, but let's not forget this, the church is also army. I want to use that metaphor too. The church is army, that we're on a mission. We, we, we have a fight, we have a mission to accomplish, to, to go out into the world and to make disciples. So Paul is using language in the Philippians to be very familiar with. He's saying, you need to be one. And he's not just thinking family here, he's thinking like an army unit. And you need to be striving side by side the way Roman soldiers fought together, the, the, the army fought together. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so he's pointing out to the Philippian church, you're in a fight. You know, to be a Christian in the city of Philippi, to be a Christian in the city of Philippi Valley, you're in a fight. And many people go wrong with Christianity because they think, oh, I'm going to become a Christian and my life's just going to be kind of kind of comfortable and kind of easy and just, you know, I'm going to sing some songs that it's good. But no, to be a Christian is to be involved in a fight. To be fighting against, obviously, most importantly, Satan and the principalities of power that fall behind the center of Jesus chapter 2. But also that in our particular city, in our particular culture, you've got to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Because you have all kinds of threats that are trying to diminish the gospel, trying to hurt the church, and you've got to strive side by side with the faith of the gospel. Um, so this was important to the city of Philippi because they were living, they, they were living in a city that was hostile to the gospel. Hostile to the gospel. And you're living in a city, you're living in an area that's hostile to the gospel. Now let's get a little interactive with this minute. What are some of the threats to the gospel right now in our culture? Here in the Bay Area. You have to say some things out loud. Or I'll start calling them. So you guys don't encounter any threats? It's, uh, it's like you said, it's comfortable. It's comfortable. Okay, that's one threat. Yeah. It's just to settle in, comfort is a threat. Just be like, hey, my life is pretty comfortable, um, so I'm not going to take any stance um, for Jesus. I'm just going to kind of make comfort for my life. What are some other threats to the church, the gospel? Easy. Easy? Been busy, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You get so busy with it. The pace of life here is so fast. It's so busy. There's so many things going on. You get distracted from what matters. Jesus, his kingdom, his mission, and his demands. And then we as the church, we as Christians look really no different than our neighbors. So they go, oh, that's just like a super busy, stressed out person. He doesn't have the focus and the peace and joy that's meant to happen. No, Jesus. Is there another one? What's that? There's many of them now. Yeah, like kind of easy, but working hard and then translate it into like putting effort into your salvation and working working for it, like you were saying. Yeah. So, so a way of life, like a workspace salvation that um, says, okay, if I just work hard, I'm really successful, and then I'm a good person. I feel justified in that. Yeah. 
I mean, friends, just, the gospel is not popular in the Bay Area. Church is not popular. Your co-workers, your friends, um, are, are blinded to the truth and think the Bible is ridiculous, that there's not a real God, there's not a Son of God who lived and died and rose again 2,000 years ago. And the obstacles are great. So what Paul is saying, the Philippians 2,000 years ago, in a context where for them to identify as Christians could mean that they would be thrown off in a prison and potentially executed. And he, he is saying, and he's saying to us, all these years later, he said, you need to be together. You need to understand that your church is not just family, it's not just hospital, it's also one. You have a battle to fight, you have a mission that you're on, you need to stick together and you need to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And, and, and the image we have to have in our head is of a Roman soldiers that are kind of taking one step forward at a time, striving side by side with the faith of the gospel, making forward progress. And, and he tells us something that this is not going to be popular either to, to you this morning. Um, it's verse 28. He says, you strive side by side with the faith of the gospel. He says, I don't want you to be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that of God. You see, you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying, as you more and more become a people, you become a church, you become an army, that strive side by side with the faith of the gospel amid really difficult odds and scary opponents. Um, and as they see that you're not frightened, uh, that's, that's going to that's going to be a clear sign to them. That's going to help them wake up and go, oh my gosh, this is a different kind of people. Who are these people that are not afraid of the forces of power of work in our culture? Who, this church in Philippi, this Paul guy, they're not afraid of Nero. They're not afraid of death. Never the Lord Christ that is name. Because that has gotten so deep into the bloodstream of this people. Uh, they're not afraid. And so they can strive side by side with the faith of the gospel. And oh my God, I must be missing out. I don't have what they have. He's saying that as you see a church that lives this out, it's transformative to other people. Other people start to wake up and go, it's a clear sign of their destruction, Paul says. They start to wake up and go, I must be on the wrong path. I don't have the confidence and safety, the gospel power that these people have. And then verse 29, for it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Okay, he uses the word granted, it's a gift. He says, so it's been a gift, it's a gift, it's been granted to you that not only should you believe in Jesus, that's a gift, right? We can only believe in Jesus because of a miracle, because God supernatural is a whole of our lives. He saves us. But it's also been granted to you that you should suffer for Jesus. This is not popular. And I don't think you were excited to come to your sermon uh, about your suffering uh, this morning. Paul, this is kind of strange, Paul's saying this is a gift. It's a gift to suffer for Jesus. So what could he possibly mean? Look, look at all the different ideas Paul has going here. This is all founded on this first thing he said that we looked at last time, to live as Christ and to die as gain. So you, if you keep living, it's a win. If you, but if you die, it's a gain because there's more Jesus in a world without sin. And then he says, this, this is how you live worthy of the gospel. You're a united people on a mission of striving together for the sake of the gospel. You've got these opponents, and he's saying that you're going to suffer. That to be, this, to be the church, to be an army, to be on this mission, and to push the gospel forward as, together as the gathered church and as the scattered church when you're in your neighborhoods and workplaces, as you do that, you will suffer for Christ's sake. Paul says that's a gift. 
Paul says, that's the gift that you're going to suffer. Paul is writing this while he's suffering. He's suffering in a prison cell. We've already discovered, though, that in the midst of suffering, he knows incredible freedom and incredible joy in the Lord. And he's writing to Philippians, and he knows that people in that church are going to suffer as they walk down this the same path. And you will too. Uh, if you as individuals and if you as a church continue down a road, and you go deeper down a road, of loyalty to Jesus, that means you take stands for Jesus as a church, and you take new ground for the kingdom of God, you will suffer. But it's a, but it's a gift. It's a gift. Now, how do you fight? Because Paul's saying we're called to fight, we're called to be an army. So like, what does that mean? You could go home and grab a, grab a sword, grab a weapon, and go fight us out of home. And we've got to think about how Jesus, how Jesus fought. What, what did it look like for Jesus to fight? And we know he fought. He fought through this way of love. Jesus came to a world of sinful, lost, broken people, and his path was love. The way he fought was, was love, rooted in the word of God. And Jesus loved his enemies. Uh, he, he loved us to death. Went to the cross. Loved us to death. And so I think that's the core of the fight that Paul's talking about. Yes, the church is to boldly proclaim the truth. Yes, the church is to take stands. But more than anything, there would be a body of people that strive together side by side with this unconditional, supernatural love of Jesus and bring that love into the city of Bogle. And that's what we're called to do. Even when people wrong you, even when people betray you, even when people hurt you, even when people leave you, even when people speak lies about you, even when people are difficult, even when people are annoying, even when people just exacerbate you. It's the call of the church to love our neighbor in the way Jesus loved our neighbor and to continue forward in that fight of love that wakes people up over time to see the power of the gospel. That's what Paul would say to live as Christ, is to die and to die as King. But what that means is that means not living kind of a Silicon Valley area way, but to live as self, to die as lost. If we can really understand that to live as Christ and to die as King, we can be a church that does that. I just want you guys to continue to dream about that as a church, especially if you dream through Acts. What does it mean to be a church that lives that out? To live as Christ? Die as game. Nothing matters more than this. I'm to love my enemies in this way. I'm to love people in this way. I'm to pray big and ask God to bring this kind of transformation in my city. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for my friends at Home of Christ Church that they would live a life that is worthy of the gospel. And just a few minutes preaching can't, can't do a ton there. But I pray that it's safe to reflect on these few verses from Philippians, that they would think about what it looks like for them to live a life worthy of the, of the gospel, Lord. Would we wake up more and more to the reality that to live is Christ and to die is a game? And I pray, uh, on Christ Church, I pray my church, I pray for all the churches that are proclaiming the gospel here in the Bay Area. I pray that we would strive together side by side with the faith of the gospel. And we'd watch you use us 
to extend this message of your radical, unconditional, supernatural love. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, thank you so much, Justin, for sharing that message with us. And I, I really agree, the message of suffering for Jesus Christ isn't really popular. Um, I know a lot of you guys are probably going through different things. Uh, everyone's going through different things right now. And uh, maybe some of us aren't suffering yet. Uh, maybe we're, we are quite comfortable where we are and, and we don't want suffering. Um, but I think following Jesus is going to have that. Sooner or later, you're going to encounter it. I think that in the Bay Area, as I've been talking to people, um, most people with the suffering that they, that they experience, it may not be like lit as human tortures or anything like that, but it's, it could be ridicule, um, it could be um, people treating you differently, maybe pushing you, maybe pushing you away, um, maybe saying some hurtful comments or uh, things like that. Uh, like I have some friends, you know, who are Christians, they're a little more, um, uh, they have a bigger presence on the online, so make a post about some belief in Christianity and they might have some friends or people that follow them, you know, hit them in the comment section and they might say like some mean things and there's some dialogue that goes on and, and sometimes yeah sometimes the, the comment section really just explodes and there's a lot of hate so uh a disagreement not saying that we can't disagree but you know like do it in a nice way but yeah so it's, you know it's real for the Bay Area so um as you guys go forth and, and Wherever you guys go, and as we gather here together on Sundays, like this, I'm saying, as we scatter throughout the week, um, that we'll be keep this in mind that uh, suffering is a gift, and God is using this uh, for, for our purpose, for a reason. So, um, at this time, I just want to uh, transition to just a time of offering where we can be generous to the Lord. I'm just going to pass this offering back around, and then, um, and then let's just stand up as we sing this last song together. Yeah, we'll just pass it around and just circle it around. Yeah, let's do that.